There we go. Good morning. Well, without further ado, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is where we are this morning. Psalm 63, and when you're there, say, I'm there. All right, I'll be reading from the uh, Christian Standard uh, Bible, the CSB, uh, beginning of verse 1. Actually, before we get into verse 1, notice the inscription at the top. I want to read that there. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. All right, keep that in mind. Verse 1. O God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. (laughs) When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. But those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. Now let's ask that God would give us his uh, spirit of wisdom and instruction so that we would know uh, not just the words on the page, but that they would dig deep into our hearts and transform us for the glory of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, would you do what only you can do? Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us, Lord, not just to see the words on the page, but, Lord, I pray that you would transform us and may we be changed into the likeness of Christ because of what we see here. Father, I pray for those who are here that uh, who are weary Perhaps they are in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Father, I pray that they would find you to be the oasis. May they find you to be the shelter. May they find you to be their solace. Father, I pray for those who do not believe in you. Lord, I pray that they would see through the Psalms that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. May they turn from their sin 
May they turn to Christ, wholeheartedly trusting, entrusting their lives to him that they may be saved. And I pray, Lord, that they would find you to be their greatest and highest satisfaction. And we thank you for this. We ask big things of you because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. So have your way. Magnify your son. Draw us into him even more deeply. And may his name be praised in this place and in all the earth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. From Monday through Friday, Jake's a mild-mannered man. He's a fairly reliable employee at the local bank. He lives in a cul-de-sac and he drives a Honda Odyssey. We would consider him an average guy. But something changes on the weekend. The suit is replaced with a pair of blue jeans. No, there is no shirt. You see, on the weekend, Jake is low-level famous. You won't find him at the bank, but you will find him at Bank of America Stadium. He's a part of the group of shirtless guys whose bare chests spell out Panthers. <laughs> Jake would be the H. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a very important task, right? I mean, if he's not there, then they're panters, and, and that's, you know, weird. Um, he, he's what we would consider a fanatic. Looks like a normal guy, but come Sunday, he's a fanatic for the Carolina Panthers. Now, we look at that, a guy like that, and we say, that's weird, <laughs> It's even more weird in a year like this, isn't it? I mean, who really is going through all of that work for a football team now? We've seen, you know, uh, we've heard the news that sports across the board, every single sport, the TV ratings have plummeted this year, uh, except for football. We love football. But, but in every other sport, the ratings have plummeted. And, and when people are trying to figure out why, why, why is it going, why is it happening like this? And, and one reason could be that all the sports are playing at the exact same time as so they're just kind of canceling each other out. And that's a very good reason. But some of it, I think, resonates with us that we're just not feeling it like we used to, right? In a year like this, I mean, who really cares if LeBron and the Lakers win the NBA finals? And uh, apparently Pastor Sean does. <laughs> There goes that illustration. I... <laughs> but when we look, we're just like, ah, you know, I'm just, I, I'm watching, but it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm invested like I used to be. Uh, even the greatest fanatics are dialed down a bit this year. I mean, when you're looking at a global pandemic, when you're looking at a toxic presidential 
race, when you're looking at racial tensions and you're looking at all of these things that are going on, the constant fighting on social media and and the constant uh, news that someone else has died that that meant a lot to you. After a while, you're just kind of going, I'm not feeling much of anything for anything right now. That's concerning, especially when we talk about our relationship with God. Perhaps you were the God fanatic. <laughs> you know, you were the one when you came to faith in Christ, you were you were on fire. I mean, you were the one going telling everybody about Jesus. You were the first person in church on Sunday. You were the one praying every day. You were the one searching the scriptures and, and just kind of standing in front of the, hi- the fire hydrant saying, give me your best shot, you know, just, just learning everything that you could about the scriptures. Maybe you enrolled in Southeastern and, and you took your classes and, and all of this and, 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 and everything was just on fire. You were at the top of your game, if you will, in terms of your walk with Christ, and and then you hit this year. All of a sudden, you're going, I I just, I'm not feeling it. Nothing makes sense. And you're you're trying to, to go to the Lord, but how do you go to him when all of this is just nonstop? How do you continue to be a God fanatic when the world is just so draining? Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? Have you felt this just emotionally, mentally, even spiritually drained? You want to be there with God. You want to be close to him again. You want him to be your highest joy, but right now... Just not feeling much of anything. Everything just seems so endlessly draining. As I look at a psalm like this, Psalm 63, I'm, I'm encouraged because I hear David, and it seems like David is in a very similar situation. This was David's 2020. Okay? David is, 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 is talking here. I, I wanted to read the inscription on purpose because it tells you where David was during this time. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. If you go down to the southern portion of Israel, at that time, Israel was all one nation. They hadn't divided yet until David's grandson, Rehoboam, became a king. Long story, he was an idiot. And, uh, and this, the kingdom split into two, the northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. This is all one united kingdom still during the time of David. And if you go down to Judah, to the southern part of the country, even further down to the deep south, if you will, of Israel, it's arid, it's a wilderness, uh, uh, there's not much there. Um, you got the Dead Sea down in that area as well. It's, he was in this area. Now you go... There are two times in uh, the books of Samuel where David is in a wilderness. The first time was when he was running away from Saul, and the second time was when he was running away from his own son, Absalom. Okay, I think that this is a time, uh, this is the second time that he's uh, uh, going out in the wilderness, and the reason for that is at the end, he says in verse 11, but the king will rejoice in God. When he was running away from Saul, he wasn't the king yet. Saul was king. 
when he was running away from Absalom, he was the king. So this is a time for David where he is in the wilderness running away from his own son who has set up a coup to overthrow him and all of that. I'd say this was his 2020, right? He's in a wilderness. He's out in the middle of nowhere. The king, he's not in the palace. He's not going to the sanctuary over and over again in the tabernacle. His son was the one who built the temple, so the temple's not here yet. He, he wasn't that guy. He's out in the wilderness uh, uh, fearing for his own life because his son is trying to overthrow him, if not kill him. David's not feeling it at this moment. David is... He wants to be there with God, but it's hard when you're in the wilderness. It's hard when you're in a, a land that is so draining. Where does David do? Where does he go? <laughs> this is why I love this psalm. Because not only does David continue to pursue God, but David, even in the wilderness, finds God. God doesn't forsake him. God doesn't abandon him. God meets him in the wilderness as he's running from his life. Do you realize that even in 2020, you can still find God? Isn't that amazing? God isn't up in heaven going, I ain't going down there. <laughs> y'all are crazy right about now I'm going to stay right over here where it's nice and sane I'm going to be about me and my own mental health you know right now no that's not the God that we serve no God sees us in our darkest seasons he sees us in the most draining circumstances and God says here I come to save the day I got you so let's look at David and his experience here in the wilderness, and let's get an idea of, of how he continues to be a God fanatic, even in a time where things are so draining. Look at what he says in verse 1. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a, in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. He says, God, I seek you. God, I thirst for you. God, my body faints for you. He talks about his soul there uh, in, the, in the Hebrew. I think uh, ESV mentions my soul thirsting for you. He, he's talking about his body fainting for God. Have you ever been in a situation or in a circumstance where your longing for God went beyond words? You weren't just saying, God, I want to be with you. You weren't just singing, God, I want to be with you. God, I want you to be close to me. But, but you could feel it all the way down into your soul, all the way into your flesh. Your body was craving God. Have you ever been in that kind of longing season where you said, God, I can't live without you. I remember back in the 90s, for those of y'all who are a little bit younger, this is, this is pre-Facebook. Um, back in those days, uh, there was a, a, a young lady, Maryland native, I'm from Maryland, uh, named Tony Braxton. Y'all have heard, heard, heard of her before, Tony. And Tony had this song called Breathe Again. 
And the song was basically, if, if, if she was singing to her boyfriend or, or whoever it was, her lover, and she said, basically, if you were to leave me, then I would never breathe, breathe again. And you have that, breathe again, you know, and all that that was going on there. And that was, that was Tony back in the day. This is kind of where David is, all right? David's going, God, if I can't have you, God, if, 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 you, don't, if you don't come close to me, God, I need you. My body faints for you. My soul thirsts for you. God, if you're not with me, I will never breathe again. Now, for Tony, that's metaphorical, I think. Um, I don't think she's that crazy. But, but for David, that is absolutely true, and it's true for you too. If God does not come close, if God does not draw near to you, you cannot live without him. We say that to, the, to our lovers. We say that to our spouses. I can't live without you. With God, you literally cannot live without him. And so what does he do in this desolate land? What does he do in the wilderness? What does he do when he longs for God so much? Look what he says in verse 2. He says, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. Look, listen to this. Listen to this. If you want to know what a God fanatic looks like, the first thing you recognize here is that the God fanatic desires God. The God fanatic desires God. And look where he finds him. He finds him, he says in verse 2, in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. I, I knew exactly where I could find you, God. I'd find you in the sanctuary. Now you go, how did he find him in the sanctuary if he's in the wilderness? Well, I think what's going on is this. I think that David is recalling the moments when he would go into the sanctuary. If I could just put the car in park here for just a moment. Please understand the role that you have right here, right now. Not just here in this room, even online. Please understand the role that you have right here, right now. You are filling up people's memory banks so that when they go into their wildernesses, they can withdraw from the canteen, if you will. That you are filling up their, their, their jugs, you're filling in their canteens and so on. So when they get into a dry and weary land, they've got some water that they can drink from. Living water, if you will. You, you are telling them, this is who God is. This is who our Lord is. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us. So that when you're in that situation where it really feels like he has left you and he has forsaken you, you can recall the times when you heard God's people say, he has never left you. He will never forsake you. Do you realize the role that you play in people's lives? We covenanted together, you covenanted uh, together uh, uh, in membership, some of you. Do you realize the responsibility that you have to help stir up the faith of your fellow church members so that when they go into those seasons, you are the one helping them say, hey, you can keep on going. Press on, brother. Keep going, sister. Keep your eyes on Christ. And you will be okay even when you go through the desert. 
oh, this is good. This is good. He says, I, I, I see your strength and your glory. What did David see? Maybe David saw the people of God and he recalled back in the days when they were in Egypt and they were in slavery and God by his mighty right hand picked them up out of slavery, went through uh, the 10 plagues and took them through the part of the Red Sea, splitting it in two so that they walked on dry ground. Maybe he recalled how he uh, sustained them in the wilderness with the manna and with the quail. Maybe he remembered how God brought water from the rock twice. Twice he did that and, and gave the entire people of Israel water to drink in the middle of nowhere. Maybe he remembered how God conquered their enemies in front of them so that they were able to go into the promised land and claim all the territory that God had given to them. Maybe he remembered how God stopped the Jordan River so that they could cross the Jordan River on dry ground. Maybe he remembered all of these different things. He remembered the Ten Commandments on Sinai when God met them with thunder and lightning and earthquakes and fire and smoke. And maybe he remembered the times when God caused uh, uh, the manna to fall and they kept it in the jar there in the sanctuary. Maybe he remembered all of these things and he said, if God was able to get Israel, my ancestors, through those seasons in the wilderness of their own, maybe he's able to get me through this too. Oh, not only that, but, but, but I want you to think because David only got part of the story. <laughs> David only saw some of the power and the glory of God. But please understand, you've seen more of the power and the glory of God than David did. Because you know that this God not only got them through the wilderness, but he also sustained them through their own wretchedness and their ungodliness and their idolatry. Enough that one day in the fullness of time, he would send down his son born of a virgin. That's power. And, and this son lived a righteous life, sinless totally obeying God all of his days. That's some kind of power. And then he died as a sacrifice for our sins. That's incredible power. And then on the third day, God raised him up from the dead, seated him at the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this day, but also in the age to come and subjected all things under his feet so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me tell you, if you are going through a desert situation, look to Jesus. Look to him. Find him to be your strength. Find him to be the glorious one. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and you will be okay. The God fanatic desires God. Where else is he going to go? Only God can get him through such a draining world. Oh, this is good. I'm having fun this morning. So not only is he one who desires God, but he is one who delights in God. If you're going to be a God fanatic, delight in God, even in this time. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Hmm. 
So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Notice the terms in here. My lips in verse 3. My lips, uh, uh, joyful lips in verse 5. My mouth in verse 5. I will bless you, verse 4. My lips will glorify you, verse 3. My mouth will praise you, verse 5. He's just saying, God, I know who you are, and I know that you have not left me nor forsaken me. I am going to praise you even in the wilderness. God, I am going to lift up my hands to you. Now, I know, I know, I know, you know, Baptists and... And, and, and we go, okay, 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 you know, uh, now we're reaching, you know, shirtless panther guys, you know, level here. I don't know. <laughs> you know, we can do that over at like Vineyard, you know, church over here or Assembly of God over there or, you know, uh, uh, Missionary Baptists. They, they may do that kind of thing, but we, well, well, well hold up. Oh, oh, no, nah, no. Nah. Because I know what, it, what you do when you go to the wedding and that person that you have been waiting for years to get married got married and, and you sat there and you did not do the little golf clap. You did not sit there and go, oh, bravo. Well done. That, that was not you. You were, yeah, woo, yeah. That's right. And you were there at the reception, clinking the, the glass, right? Go ahead, go ahead, kiss her, kiss her now. You know, that, that was you. That was you, right? You, you got all kinds of Pentecostal on that day. <laughs> and I know what it's like when you go to the game and, and you've got the guy who, who throws the, the last second touchdown or, or you got the basketball shooter who shoots the game-winning shot or the walk-off home run and all of these different things, and you don't sit there and go, I say, what a fabulous occurrence. No, you go crazy, right? Did you see that? Did you see that? Oh, I remember a couple years ago, uh, uh, and I'm sorry to all Saints fans, but I remember watching the Vikings and the Saints, and I'm watching this game. It was a playoff game. And, uh, and, and Case Keenum, the quarterback, uh, who I don't even know if he's still in the league, uh, this was like his one shining moment. Uh, he goes back to throw, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. It looks like the Saints are going to win the game. He throws it to Stephon Diggs, also from Maryland, and, uh, and, and, and Diggs goes up for, uh, to catch the ball, and we're just thinking, okay, he's going to go out of bounds. Maybe they'll try for a field goal, get the, ball, uh, you know, get the, uh, the game into overtime and all this. He catches the ball. The corner who was guarding him tries to tackle him and misses, which means that there is nobody in between Stefan Diggs and the end zone. And I'm sitting here watching this game, and you can hear the announcer go, Diggs! Touchdown, Vikings! Like that. And he's, not, he's supposed to be like disinterested. He's supposed to be Sweden and everything. He's screaming to the top of his lungs, I jump up out of my couch and go, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, like this. I don't even like the Vikings. (laughs) And and I'm like, what is happening? I yell for Annie. Annie's in the kitchen. Babe, babe, get in here now. Oh, my goodness, and all of this. And let me tell you, not at one time did I think, this is so improper. (laughs) 
It's absolutely proper. This is how we respond. I didn't stop and think. Now, what is the proper response in this scenario? No. At that moment, the instinct of my heart said, celebrate. Get up and cheer. This is amazing. You do it for weddings. You do it in sports. Why in the world do all of a sudden we shift gears when it comes to the Lord? All of a sudden, when it comes to the Lord, we go, well, I don't want to go crazy. Who said this was crazy? Do you have any idea what is going on in heaven? Jesus said, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. I remember seeing the, the, uh, the Cubs, when the Cubs won the World Series a couple years ago, after all of these years of futility, you know, and embarrassment and everything. And I remember staying up and watching that game when the Cubs won the World Series. And I, I mean, I was tired. I had to go to work the next day, but I'm just sitting here going, I just can't believe I'm watching this. The Cubs have won the World Series. Oh, my goodness. And I'm not, again, I'm not a Cubs fan. So when you turn to actually see the Cubs fans, old and young, rich and poor, you know, and so on, this big crowd of people that were in Wrigley Field watching this game, and to see that ballpark erupt, when the Cubs won the World Series. Do you realize that that's like a small group compared to heaven? All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. If heaven goes all out for one sinner, what do you think heaven is like? Heaven is incredible. And you get a little taste of that joy when you treasure Christ. Because he's the one who never fails. He's the one who never ends. The Cubs eventually become the Cubs again. <laughs> right? <laughs> eventually, they're going to you know, come off of their cloud, and they're going to be right back where they, where they were before. They're the Cubs. You know? God will never cease to be God. Christ will never cease to be Christ. The risen and exalted Lord will always be age to age the same, and there's no stopping him. He will accomplish his purposes. He will be the one left standing in the end. Jesus will have the last word. Why don't we lift up our hands and give him the praise that he deserves? Because there will never be an end to his rule or to his reign and his authority. And in the amazing uh, audacity of his grace, this Christ is for you. And not against you. Even in the wilderness. David says, your steadfast love is better than life. I, I don't even understand. I'm in the wilderness and you're loving me. I, I'm in the wilderness and I still experience your grace. I'm in the wilderness and I still can trust in your salvation. There's no one like you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to lift up my hands. He even says in verse 5, you satisfy me as with rich food. Come on, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Y'all know what that's like, right? You know what it's like to be satisfied with good food, you know. You got this big turkey, you get your stuffing, get your cranberry sauce, you get your 
uh, uh, macaroni and cheese and, and, and all the other things that you all do, because uh, I know from there it gets kind of weird, you know, and everybody starts doing their own thing. Um, but, but you got all these things that are going on, and, and, and you go and you eat and you eat and you feast and feast and feast, and then what happens? You sleep, right? You have made it to the pinnacle of satisfaction, at least when it comes to food, and you express your satisfaction by getting onto the couch and going completely unconscious for a couple of hours, right? David says, oh, to know you. Oh, to be in your presence. To be assured that you have not left me. To be assured that you are still God. Lord, even in the desert, I can be knocked out like I am on Thanksgiving. I know they didn't have Thanksgiving work with me. Uh, he says, I, I'm able to rest and just be so at peace because you satisfy me. Uh, the God fanatic desires God. He delights in God. Look at verse 6. He says, when I remember you on my bed, in the night watches, I will meditate on you. For you are a helper for me. And in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Uh, he goes on. He says, I've, I, I follow close to you, verse 8. Your right hand uh, holds on to me. In other words, he not only desires God, he not only delights in God, but he also depends on God. He depends on God. Look, God, you're my helper. God, I rejoice in the shadow of your wings. Oh, that's such a beautiful picture. You got Mama Bird, right? We, we've, we've moved uh, to Youngsville, and uh, in, the back, in our backyard, we have a, a bird feeder, and, uh, and we've got bushes and some trees and so on in our backyard. And, and for us, uh, that means that we are paying much more attention to birds than probably we ever have in our entire lives. Um, it's just fascinating looking at these birds. And there was one time, uh, we, we're, we, our house runs on gas, and so I've got the, the tank out in the back, and, and, uh, and I went to check the meter, and I opened up the, the little cover of the, on the meter. There was a bird's nest in there, little eggs and so on. And, uh, and, and immediately I was just like, i, I got to figure out what I need to do because we've got you know, eggs here, and I don't want to disrupt the nest because if you disrupt the nest, Mama Bird's not going to come back, and she leaves leaves the birds. And so I had to figure out what was going on there. But it was such a beautiful picture seeing this nest. And you go, here we are in this tank. And, and, and it's a pretty stupid place to put a bird's nest, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, one bad move and boom, you know, there goes the birds. Um, <laughs> but, but you've got this nest in there and the birds, you know, the mama bird comes in there and I'm guessing it's warm or something. And she goes in there and she, she just kind of snuggles them uh, there and the little chicks the little birds are there and she just kind of leaves them and she holds on to them and so on and you have that picture when when baby bird is there under the wings of mama bird baby bird has not a care in this world because whatever happens with baby bird mama bird's got it and david says in a much more profound way that's how i am with you it's in the night i'm out here in the wilderness it's cold. There are all kinds of things that could come out here. You know, animals could come out here. Uh, thugs could come out here. There are all kinds of things and people that could, that could uh, pose a, a threat to me out here. But I can sleep well because I know that I am in the shadow of your wings. 
Papa Bird's got me. <laughs> when you when have God as your great joy and your great satisfaction, you can depend on him. He's going to hold you. He's not going to let you go. Notice he, let, he, he says, your right hand holds on to me. He's having an old professor. Uh, he's with the Lord now. But I remember when we were in college, he used to always give this illustration. Um, I went to a Bible college, and he was, he was an old pastor and preacher and so on. And he used to talk about how uh, in their backyard there was, um, there was a well. And uh, it, was, it was an old well, old abandoned well, not a very deep one. And, um, and their, their kids would go, and they would play ball and everything. He had, he had boys. Uh, and they would go play ball, and every once in a while, a ball would get stuck in the well. And so uh, he would have to take his, one of his sons because he couldn't reach down there. So he would take his son, and he would hold on to his son, and he would lower him into the well to get the ball. And then when he would get the ball, he would pull him right back up. He was an old military guy, and so he, he had amazing upper body strength. And, um, and so he would hold him, and he, and he would say this illustration all the time. I miss him. Uh, he would say this all the time. He said, now, in this situation, which is more important, that my boy's got a hold of me or that I've got a hold of him? God lowers us into the deserts, into the draining situations, into the exhausting seasons. And you may be having a hard time keeping a hold on him during all of this. But which is more important, your grip on him or his grip on you? And David says, I can sleep well tonight because I know with, even with my feeble hands, I'm trying to, to keep a hold of you. But I know that your hands are so much bigger and so much stronger. And I can rest assured knowing that you've got a hold on me. Oh. So what happens for a God fanatic who desires God, delights in God, depends on God, is, uh, is, uh, uh, and, uh, desires God, delights in God, and depends on God. What happens to someone who is like that? Well, this is what I think the rest of the psalm is for. Look what he says. He says, but they, uh, those who intend to destroy my life, will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast. For the mouth of liars will be shut. What's going on here? I think what's going on here is this. If you desire God with all of your being, if you delight in him with your whole heart, if you depend on him uh, uh, for your salvation and your protection, God won't let you down. A God fanatic, finally, is defended by God. Do you see what's going on here? There are those who intend to destroy my life. Remember, he's out in the wilderness. He may be talking about his son and this kind of band of marauders that, that uh, uh, Absalom has taken with him. He may be talking about that. He may be talking about just bandits or robbers or whoever is out there in the middle of nowhere there at night. He says, that's okay. I can rest well because I know that if my joy is in God, God's going to take care of me. 
Now, I, I got I to say this because we just talked about uh, our, our sweet missionary couple here who's joining the church. That does not mean that you won't be in harm's way. You could be placed in harm's way. You could have your life in danger. We lived in Baltimore. When we were doing ministry there, there were people who legitimately threatened our lives. There were people who would come to me or they'd come to Annie and they said, hey, we, we know that, uh, that, that uh, if you uh, keep messing with us and everything, we know how to cut the deepest with you. We know your children. We know where they are. We know what they look like. And we know, what, uh, uh, you know when they go outside. We know all of these different things. We know how to hurt you the deepest. Well, does that mean that God wasn't there? No, God absolutely was there. God absolutely took care of us there. But there are plenty of folks who have testimonies where they lost a child or they have testimonies of where they had to bury a wife or had to bury a husband. We know these stories throughout biographies and church history and so on. So does that mean that God didn't defend them? No, it doesn't mean that God did not defend them because you are looking at too small of a sample size. You see, you're just looking from here to the grave and you're going, wait a second, God didn't keep them from the grave. God never said that he would keep you from the grave. God said that even when you die, you will live. So now we've got to look and say, all right, in light of eternity, has God defended them? Oh yeah, God's going to defend them. You see, here's the thing. God will either protect you in this life Uh, That is up for grabs. He may defend you. He may not defend you. He may keep you alive. He may not keep you alive. But in the scheme of eternity, we realize every single one of your enemies will one day stand before the Lord and give an account for their lives. And unless they place their trust and their hope in Christ Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of his eternal wrath because God will defend his people. Justice will prevail because God is God. This is the hope that David had. He says, I will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast for the mouth of liars will be shut. Oh, they'll keep yapping right now, but they're not going to yap forever. They're going to keep harassing you now, but they're not going to harass you forever. They may be a threat to your life now, but they will not be a threat to your life forever because God will defend those who delight in him. You know, there's one thing that God loves so much, and that's his praise. Oh, God loves God. (laughs) And he loves his name. And he loves it when his creation praises his name and proclaims his name in all the earth. Oh, he loves the sound of his worship. And so when there is a threat to his worship, when there's somebody who is threatening to press the mute button on his praise, oh, you better believe God feels some kind of way about that. His favorite song is praise and worship. and You don't mess with his radio. God will defend his people. He will defend his worshipers. If not in this life, surely in the next life. So, are you in a dry and weary land? Is this world draining on you? Look again at our great God. (laughs) Keep on desiring him.
He's not going to let you down. Keep on delighting in him, for there is no greater treasure and no greater joy. Keep on depending on him, because you are safe under the shadow of his wings. And wait, wait for him to come to your defense. Because when he does, you will, in his name, prevail. It's a dry season, I know. It's hard. But God is still God. And may he be your God. To the point that someone may even dare call you a fanatic. <laughs> Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that you would indeed be our joy and our treasure. Our only hope is you. Thank you, Lord, for taking us through these wilderness seasons to remind ourselves that there is one treasure, one lasting joy, and it is you. Father, I pray that you would remind us of your power and your glory most manifested and most visibly seen in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we long for the day where he returns and all that ails us will be done once and for all. May this hope be our sustenance as we go through the, the wilderness. May we rest under the shadow of your wings. May your right hand uphold us. We thank you. Father, fill us with great joy. The story does not end this way. In the valley, in the desert, cold and hungry and thirsty. That's not how the story ends. The story ends with us in your presence, surrounded by the throng of worshipers with one voice giving praise and glory to your name and we will feast forever. May this be our joy. May we delight in you wholeheartedly both now and forever.